0: Kyle Berlin has a lot to be excited about right now. For one thing, he just finished his senior year at Princeton and was named valedictorian of the class of 2018. He'll be going to Maine this summer to take part in an artistic residency and perform a play he wrote that explores several questions that relate to the concept of home, such as who belongs in a home, what is a home, and what do we want a home to be. I'm Allie Wenner, a writer for the Princeton Alumni Weekly, and I talked to Kyle last month about his inspiration for the play and how his travels around the world have shaped the person that he is today. I'm here today with Kyle Berlin. He is a Spanish and Portuguese languages and cultures major, and he's here in the studio on one of his final days at Princeton. He's also a valedictorian of the graduating class of 2018, and he'll be speaking at this year's commencement ceremony, which is pretty cool. So uh, welcome, Kyle, and thank you for being here today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So I really got to know, you know, what's been the reaction to the valedictorian news? What do your, what do your friends and family think about all this?
1: Um, including myself the sort of general response has been surprise um on on many different levels for many different reasons but of course the people who um care about me are excited and um and and then other people that i know less well i think have ex- have expressed um a certain degree of excitement because they don't know what i'm going to say and the secret is i don't know what i'm going to say either um, so yeah it's been an interesting experience of like micro-celebrity on campus, which makes me realize I don't actually want to be famous in in the larger world.
0: And, you know, speaking of family and people that care about you, I wanted to ask you about your hometown of Arroyo Grande, California. Am, mm-hmm. I, am I pronouncing that correctly? Perfect. Oh, great. Uh, so to my knowledge, you're still somewhat involved with that community. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask, um, could you tell me a little bit about what it's like in Arroyo Grande? What, what's that community?
1: Um, yeah, so it's, when people ask where, where I'm from, I say Arroyo Grande, California. It's about halfway between LA and San Francisco on the coast. So we very proudly call ourselves the Central Coast, um, and it's a it's a small um, smallish community, about fifteen sixteen thousand people. Um, yeah, right on the coast, and there's a lot of agriculture, uh, semi rural. Um, I think the biggest city that people. No, is Santa Barbara, which is about an hour and a half to the south. And so it's, it's just the sort of informal, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but the informal model of the town is nice town, normal people, which kind of gives you a sense of the small town vibes of the place.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up nice town, normal people, because I know that is uh, the title of a project you've been working on at Princeton. So could you tell me a little bit about what it is and how it relates to Arroyo Grande, aside from being the motto? Of the yeah.
1: Town. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's... Um, So there's this, you know, hometown coffee shop on in the old Arroyo Grande village. So there's like a nineteen fifties style village in the middle of the town with old style shops and there are roosters that roam around and uh there's a swinging bridge and it's kind of this idyllic little old timey village. Uh, And one of the places there is a coffee shop that sells these um sort of memorabilia that says nice town, normal people, 93420, which is the zip code, Arroyo Grande, California. And that that sort of idea of Arroyo Grande being a nice town with normal people as opposed to the craziness of LA or San Francisco or the meanness of the big city, um, I think that's, that's a very strong part of the Arroyo Grande identity. Um, but it's also extremely complicated. So, after um so last year after the you know 2016 election when there seemed to be so much division in the country I got to talking with some of my friends from from home um and thinking about well what's actually going on now in this in this country what's beneath this these divisions and it seems to me that one of the central questions was the conflicting definitions of home and and who belongs and who doesn't and what does it look like and for whom Um, And so we thought, well, maybe the best way to investigate this is to go home ourselves and just talk to people um, and talk to them about home and what home means to them. So then last summer, uh, I spent um, the the summer with a Davis Projects for Peace grant that sort of sponsored the work, interviewing people and then turning all of those interviews. We interviewed almost 100 people in my hometown um, and turning all those interviews into a documentary play with music and a whole production.
0: In one summer, you did 100 interviews and you wrote the script and you – did all the set and the costumes.
1: Yes, it was a collaborative <laughs> effort. Um, oh, wow. not, not just me. We had an amazing team of people, all from my town, um, who really got behind the project and helped out in so many ways.
0: And going back to the, the interviews that you did in the beginning of the process, um, you know, was there, were there certain kinds of things that you found that people wanted to talk about when you were talking to them? Or, or what kinds of things came up in conversation with Royal Grandians? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, that 's a good question i don't i, I don 't know what we call ourselves a so grandi grand yeah that could that could be that could work a grand sounds good Um that 's a good question. I think one of the things that after doing a number of interviews one of the recurring themes that we started to notice is that um, people would you know people had actually remarkably similar definitions of what home was in a sort of abstract sense so home is a place you feel comfortable, home is a place you feel safe where um, you know, you're surrounded by people that you love, things like this. And that was pretty broadly true across backgrounds and identities and age groups and everything. Um, but where it differed was that when we started talking to people, really most people just wanted to um, share their story and their and their particular perspective. And so we were worried going into it that we, people wouldn't want to talk. But in fact, the opposite was true. And it sort of turned sometimes into a, an an air—it felt like a session for people to air their grievances um, about the town or about their lives, and it just made me realize that um, people just want to be heard, and I—and I'm not sure that there's a lot of space for that um, right now. I think our our listening skills as a society are pretty um, down mm-hmm. um, for for a number of reasons. But so that that was something that that I just noticed is that people would sort of have the similar thing, but then also have their particular experience that they just really wanted to tell to someone um, and air that.
0: As you said, home is kind of the central theme and mm-hmm. the question of home, but is there a way, could you give us an abridged version of sort of the plot and the storyline in Nicetown Normal People?
1: Yeah. So the, the theater company that um, was sort of started with this Davis Projects for Peace grant and that I co-founded with my friend and collaborator from home um, and actually there's there are three of us so we all went to high school together arroyo grande big public high school um, we all went to high school and now we all went separate directions and then we came back and decided to start this theater company with this davis project for peace grant and that theater company is called rhizome theater company and in terms of the show we What we did is we took all the interviews, we transcribed them all into this huge document, um, and then we located central themes that we found in, in many interviews, and then we sorted quotes from each transcript into those theme sections. And then we decided that we would take those theme sections and try to make them into a sort of um, – semi-narrative conversation. So the so the show is structured in three acts. The first act we call where we are. So people talking about Arroyo Grande now uh, and how they feel about the place now. The second act is where we were. So talking about history and the complex history of discrimination, but also of support um, and community in, in Arroyo Grande. And then the third act naturally is where are we going Um, and people talking about their fears and their hopes for the future. And within those acts, we have many different little scenes wherein we're trying to stage conversations between people who didn't actually talk to each other. If someone in one interview said something about, for example, Th- their concerns about overdevelopment in Roto Grande, and someone in a different interview also said that, then we would put those quotes together and, and sort of stage this conversation between them.
0: And how many, how many actors are in this? Pl- how big of a show is this?
1: Um, so it, it's just me and um, my collaborator and the co-founder of the theater company. We believe very firmly in the um, I don't want to say very firmly, but we believed <laughs> in the sort of ethnographer as performer, like as in meaning that we did the interviews and we wanted to also be the ones to perform them because we felt that we were there for them and so we had a sort of sense of what the people were saying and their body language and everything. By no means are we trying to do a naturalistic impression of everybody. It becomes more like a mosaic of voices, sort of almost like a Greek chorus of different people talking. Um, But then there's also, I should mention very important on the piano, um, is our third collaborator, McCormie Alexander Hills, who's, who wrote new music and performs it and underscores the whole show. So he's not acting, but he is certainly a Key component of the show performance. Very
0: cool. And if, if I remember correctly, you performed, or Rhizome Theater Company performed *Nice Town Normal People* in Princeton a few months ago, right? Yeah. How was what was that experience like?
1: Well, that was crazy um, <laughs> because you know we made this town, ta- we made the show in in Oro Grande, about right. Oro Grande, for Oro Grande, and we never thought that it would have a life after that. Um, but what we found was the response to the show in Arroyo Grande was extremely strong, more than we anticipated. Um, And people coming up afterwards and saying this this could be about any small town in America right now um, because there's these recurring themes. Um, And of course, every place is distinctive, but it's sort of the opportunity arose to perform it at Princeton because of this – Migrations Conference that was happening throughout the spring semester. And actually, um, the owner of Labyrinth Books, Dorothea, suggested that I do this show as part of that conference. And so that we ended up doing that. And Dean of the College Jill Dolan was there. And I admire her greatly. And she led a talk back. And she's obviously a theater scholar herself. Um, So it turned into this amazing opportunity. And it was really interesting to see how people responded to the show outside of, the context in which it was made. You know, everyone who saw the show in Arroyo Grande knew Arroyo Grande because they were from there. So what was it like for people in Princeton to to consider the show as something else, as an artifact or as speaking to their own experience or not?
0: And do you feel that p- people in Princeton could identify with the themes? I mean, what was the reaction, at least that you heard from the audience um, after the show?
1: Yeah, I, certainly. I was. Um, it was very gratifying to to see that, in fact, the show could um, survive, I think, the, the transfer. And, and, you know, not not we lost some of the jokes in translation, <laughs> some of the, like, the Briscoe underpass, LOL, which is one of our hugest laugh lines in Aurora Grande, but no one understands Crickets. it. Crickets C- in yeah, New Jersey. <laughs> exactly. And there's no reason why they should understand it. Um, but afterwards, we had a good discussion um, and people talking about how it really did make them think about similarities to Princeton and also we had people visiting not from Princeton who who also said that it spoke to how they feel about their town. So much so that a Princeton alum um, actually invited us to come to her town, her small town in Maine this summer, which is now we're going to do an artistic residency there for a couple of weeks in East Blue Hill, Maine, um, which cool. was a product of this Princeton performance. So we're gonna be there for a couple of weeks living with different people in the town. It's about 2,000 person town, so even smaller than Oro Grande. And we'll be performing our show a couple of times um, for the town and hopefully oh, fostering a sort of community dialogue about how our show speaks to their town or not. And so we're doing a little bit of sort of research about the town by talking to people and also in advance. But then on top of that, we'll be doing workshops um, for people who are interested in crafting a draft of their own show about this town in Maine. Um, So, you know, from the beginning, from interviewing straight through to compiling and then producing. Um, And it'll be a sort of whirlwind of – of making their own show, hopefully.
0: Awesome. How long are you going to be up there?
1: Uh, at least two weeks. Um, we'll, yeah, that's the plan for now. It might be longer. We, we, we don't know what doors will open or where we may go mm-hmm. um, next in the in the area.
0: Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. Hey. Uh, and speaking of travel, I wanted to ask you, I know you've done a lot of traveling during your time at Princeton. Yeah. Um, shortlist here. You did a bridge here in Peru. You did a global seminar in Africa. You studied abroad in Cuba, just to name a few. Um, you know, I'm wondering, how have your travels influenced the work that you've done at Princeton and the work that you want to do after Princeton?
1: Uh, that's a great question. I, I Sometimes I give campus tours and my line is, one of my favorite things about Princeton is all the chances there are to get out of Princeton, <laughs> sponsored by Princeton. <laughs> um, and I think that from the From the get go doing the bridge year in in Peru just really gave me um, a perspective on my time here that has really served me uh, as as a student and but also just as a human here trying to i think it you know we often hear how easy it is to get sort of wrapped up in the place that we are. I think having had these international experiences, one gains or I was able to gain a, a certain um, a certain irony or a certain sense of this is not the the end game, this is not everything. Um, and of course, what happens here is important, but there's a great big world out there. And um, it, it's important for me, the, my travels are important for me to not only to keep that perspective but also, but also to think about how my learning here can be applied in a larger context or th- thinking about the world beyond Princeton, New Jersey. As important as the books, or more important than the books that I'm reading here, and that learning can happen, you know, outside of the classroom or the library. Um, and and my favorite memories and experiences and the best relationships that I've formed have been because of this time and space that I was afforded in different different places.
0: I mean, now you're kind of – you're about to graduate and perhaps reflecting back on your time here at Princeton and in other places besides Princeton. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, if you could go back in time to your freshman yourself, um, what would you tell yourself knowing mm. what you know now?
1: Ooh, great question. P- partly because of my time in Peru, I, I I told myself at the beginning of my time here that I would, n- I would never um, – I would I would never do like yeah study or or do something that would um, cut off my opportunity to just to have a meaningful conversation with someone or to hang out with someone, and I think I tried to stick to that. But if I could do it again, I think I would tell um, myself even more. I would say do less, <laughs> and I would say hang out more, um, because not not because of a sort of simple oh. I wish that I had more pleasure or whatnot. But because I think that hanging out is one of the best ways to learn about yourself, but also about other people and about the world. I think that some of the things that I'm going to remember emotionally, affectively, effectively, but also intellectually come from conversations that I've had with people here um, and you know also in, in the places that I've traveled. And so I think I would really Tell myself, and and I try to tell, for example, incoming first year students who I mentor that, you know, d- yes, you should work hard, but don- please don't work too hard. Um, you have the rest of your life to to work hard, and our society will make you work hard. Um, we're not <laughs> yeah. bad at that. So.
0: Uh, and to wrap it up here, Kyle, I mean, what can we expect from Kyle Berlin going forward? I mean, aside, you've got your plans up in Maine for a couple weeks. Do you have any other, any other plans in the near future for post Princeton?
1: Um, yeah. So the main thing, um, then I'm going to Peru to, um, spend a little time with the family that I lived with when I was there on my bridge year, visit them. And then, and then I'm hoping to work on a book, um, that is in that I don't necessarily have a concrete idea for yet, but um, if, if any listeners have any ideas or want to <laughs> sponsor me book. to write a book, I, <laughs> will, write you a, I will write a book. Um, but th- that's the hope to sort of pursue an artistic project for at least a year. And I think it'll probably be a combination of the kind of work that I've done with Nice Town Normal People, um, but maybe putting it on, on the page as, as well as on the stage.
0: Great. We'll definitely be in touch with the Princeton Alumni Weekly. You know, we love to promote alumni books. um, And I look forward to seeing what comes up with that and even the short term, hearing your commencement address. We'll see how prepared (laughs) it is. Well, thank you so much for your uh, time this morning, Kyle. I really appreciate you coming in to meet with us.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. It's been fun. Great to meet
0: you. This interview was recorded at Princeton's broadcast studio with help from Daniel Kearns, and the music is licensed from FirstCom.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to subscribe to Princeton Alumni Weekly Podcast in iTunes. We'll be publishing more interviews all year long.